Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the Broaden Your Perspective podcast, where Johnny Sue, your host, sits down and talks with the individuals I meet along my path as an undergraduate student. Currently, I'm a third year student studying in the science and business program specializing in biochemistry. Waterloo's co-op program gives me the opportunity to do five internships. Join me as I talk with fellow students, professors, entrepreneurs, doctors, athletes, and much more about their journey and experiences. Hopefully, you can learn something from this episode and truly broaden your perspective on life, family, work, whatever it may be. Without further ado, here we go. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the Broaden Your Perspective podcast. Today, I am joined by Steve. So, Steve, thank you so much for taking the time to join me on the episode today. Yeah, not a problem, Johnny. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Um, okay, so to get things started, why don't you just give the audience a quick breakdown, a quick introduction as who, as to who exactly Steve is, who you are, um, what, are your stu- what are you studying right now, your background, what are you up to right now? Just a quick, brief introduction slash breakdown. Yeah, for sure. Um, and I guess I could start from, you know, start from the beginning to like where I am now. Uh, so essentially... Um, I am from Niagara, born and raised in Niagara, um, St. Catharines to be specific. Um, I grew up there my entire life. Um, my original background uh, my, and my family heritage is uh, Indian. So uh, my parents immigrated from India to Canada um, you know, many years ago. Uh, my mom came to Canada when she was first, I want to say 20 to 21. So like probably my age right now is when she first um, immigrated here. My right. dad came a few years later after that so um that's how our family was sort of got settled in canada um my parents they sort of moved around a few places um obviously toronto being the big hub for a lot of immigrants who come to canada they first settled there um and then they sort of bounced around um ontario depending on where they ended up getting uh you know part-time jobs um and then they eventually um settled in niagara because uh, my dad got a full-time job there and so i was born there and that's the reason why um our family settled in Niagara. Now, I guess moving forward to, uh, I guess, a present time-ish, so um, university. Uh, I go to Brock University, which is in Niagara. So I sort of had that um, experience where um, I was, I grew up in the same city and then I even go to the school in the same city. So um, pretty involved uh, in the community or is what I like to think at the very least. Yeah. Uh, so I, I think I um, have a pretty good understanding there. Um, what I'm studying is business administration, um, and I'm in the co-op program uh, in my fourth year. Um, right now, specifically, uh, I'm doing a, a co-op term um, for a company called uh, Well Simple. And I guess I'm jumping a little bit because there's a few more co-op terms uh, before my present term now. So I guess I'll rewind a little bit. Mm-hmm. So uh, the first term that I ever um, had was an unofficial co-op term, and it was with um, this organization called BDC which stands for the Business uh, Development Bank of Canada. Um, I got an internship position at the local branch uh, during the first year um, of university, during the summer of my first year. So I felt that um, you know, it was a really good experience. I was able to learn a lot about the business community. It was the first time I ever 
at a job in a formal business setting. And that really, I would say, was the big turning point for me in terms of setting, setting me on the path that I currently am on in terms of um, the industries that I uh, typically work in when it comes to co-ops. After that, um, working at the BDC's local branch um, in Niagara, and specifically for the finance, financing division, and we can you know, speak, more, um, speak more about that later. Right. Um, but after that, uh, I moved to uh, Toronto to work for the BDC IT Venture Fund. Um, and they are a, a later stage investor. They do um, Series A and Series B rounds investments into a lot of companies. And I guess like some portfolio companies that they have just to highlight, um, one would be Touch Bistro, another one would be Trulio. Um, they also have uh, companies like, like Solink, uh, Crowder, and those are just a few companies um, that I'm listing off off the top of my head. Um, and then, you know, forward to today, um, and uh, currently working with Simple doing an eight month co-op term with them. And I'm, I guess to be more specific, I'm working in their brokerage operations department, which is the back office that handles a lot of the, um, the transfers, account openings, account, close, account closings, trading, um, that um, side of the business. So I guess that kind of gives you um, a general overview of, uh, of me. Cool, cool. Um, so for your co-ops, Right. You mentioned that you were in a co-op program at Brock. So exactly how does the co-op program support you and what kind of infrastructure is surrounding your, uh, you know, your ability to get a co-op position? Do they help with, because I know at Waterloo, we have uh, Waterloo Works, which is almost like a internal job posting board where every employer that posts a job opening on there knows that they're looking for Waterloo students. And then we go ahead and apply on there do our interviews, send our applications, yada, yada, yada. How, how does Brock's co-op program work? Yeah, that's a really good question. So I guess in terms of how it's set up, it's very similar to your standard co-op program. And you know, speaking to a lot of my friends who are at Waterloo, it seems like it is very similar. Um, I think it's like, as one key thing is that the software that you know both schools use use Brock and Waterloo okay. is the exact same. I had a chance to look at what the, what the Waterloo job board looked like. Now, the actual postings and the jobs are different. However, the actual software that they use is was picked like I, exactly identical in terms of the interview process um, and how all, all of that worked, which I guess mm-hmm. is like um, an interesting note. Now, in terms of how it supports me and, and how I found value in it, I would say that my biggest fear going into university. And I think, you know, when you're going from high school to university, that is a really, really big transition. Probably one of the biggest transitions you will ever make in your life in terms of the, not just the workload, but the environment as a whole and how you really go from being a child to an adult in terms of responsibilities that are, you know, upon you. Now, my biggest fear was, you know, spending approximately, I don't know, $40,000 in tuition, graduating and not getting a job in a field that I enjoyed or not getting a job um, relating to business, um, Mm. which was uh, the program that I was, that I'm currently studying. So 
going into first year and you know being part of the co-op program the biggest value that i found was that it's it essentially is like a dress rehearsal you're sending applications in you're preparing a resume you're preparing a cover letter real employers are reviewing them and making real decisions on whether or not to continue with your application now the very first resume that i probably ever made was was probably a mess and not probably it was a mess i can tell i can tell you it was an absolute mess same with the cover letter too and before getting um advice from the co-op office and other resources on campus i found that i was getting you know a decent amount of um right rejections essentially now with that being said i was you know i had no experience at the time i had worked at i've worked a few minimum wage jobs mm-hmm. so i worked at mcdonald's which was my very very first job then i worked at a movie theater um, called landmark cinemas so um just by being part of the co-op program i was really able to really understand what the job search was like and that really i would say alleviated my fear because i realized that through the co-op program there is a demand for uh business students and i would say a relative demand if you look at the average i guess it also depends on which school you go to but if you look at a co-op job board a lot majority of the postings relate to uh you know a business degree essentially because and i guess like that's the one you know key benefit of having a business degree i would say is that it is very flexible there's many different industries you can go into and you're not locked into a certain career path so instead of taking say uh, a bachelor's of accounting for example where your career path is essentially locked in as an accountant from the moment you step into university with a gen, uh, with a general business administration or commerce degree you not only have access to accounting but you have access to you know, a ton of other industries right. um, i'm obviously not going to name them all but that was the one big thing it allowed me to kind of have an open mind and be flexible when it when it came to applying for jobs now with the co-op program itself and you know actually getting a job the true value that i found was that having you know experience on your resume before graduating and before right. entering the quote unquote real world um was absolutely crucial because the number of graduates that graduate every year i mean we can even tone in on simply like business students it's it's a lot and so finding a way to differentiate yourself amongst you know hundreds of thousands of resumes and cover letters is is very challenging so co-op is just that one way to differentiate yourself and not only that but the way i look at it as is um an employer wants someone who's balanced balanced in the sense that they have good grades good experience good character and a good work ethic now if you think you um are lacking in one of these categories and i guess as an example if you think um your marks are not the greatest you need to find a way to kind of boost up another category so if your marks aren't where 
they ne where you necessarily want them to be. And I guess for an example, say you want them to be in the 90s, but you're only able to get them in the 80s. And you know that if an employer is looking solely just at marks, they're just they're most likely going to pick the person with a higher average at around 90% rather than 80%. However, if you're able to compensate that with stronger work experience and relevant work experience, that goes a long way to even the playing field. And that's the biggest value that I found through the co-op program in particular, I would say. Yeah. And I, I think, you know, what, what you're talking about there with grades, I know that when I was in first year, like when I transitioned into university, my goal was to be the best student ever. I wanted to get, you know, a hundred average and whatnot and just dedicate all my time to academics. But when it came to applying, you know, for co-op jobs come second year, then I realized how important extracurriculars actually are to your, you know, success of different applications, because what are you going to do? Apply with a resume and it's all it's going to have is your GPA on it. There's going to be no experiences, no volunteer experiences, nothing. It, I, right. I'd rather be somebody that has, you know, respectable average with more extracurriculars than somebody that's way more lopsided. So definitely I would say academics is not the only thing employers look at. There are certainly employers that do place a heavy prioritization on academics. I'm not saying that they don't like go around and apply with like a 60 average. I'm not saying that um, still, you know, make sure that your grades are up there. Um, but another thing about the co-op program I feel like is really good is that in Waterloo, I feel that the traditional path is people will go through their five or six different co-op terms. And then not only are you gaining the experience during your time away on co-op, but you're also building valuable relationships, right? So by the time you graduate, you've now have little networks in each of these different companies that typically, you know, the last co-op you finish before you graduate is going to offer you a full-time offer afterwards. Um, so that's that's something that I find is is really cool as well, is that your quote-unquote career is almost solidified once you've entered into a co-op program. Um, but what is it that you think, you know, you so you've gone through three co-op terms now. So do you think that going through these different co-op terms and different experiences, do you think you figured out what exactly it is or what kind of job you want to do once you graduate? Yeah, I would definitely say so. Um, and I guess before I get to, to that point, yeah. I guess the one thing that I kind of want to mention is that, and I guess like this is sort of like a message that I have for, you know, any of the listeners who are maybe searching for a co-op term right. right now or internship um, and are either worried or um, a little stressed out. When it comes to applying, I found that the motto that worked for me best was um, what's the worst that can happen. So every time that I would apply for a job, I would always ask myself, what's the worst that can happen? Um, and I guess to give you an example, with the very first um, internship that I did at BDC, this was in my first year. So I just finished my first year of my undergraduate degree. Uh, sorry, not undergraduate degree. My first year of you know, degree as a whole. And it was the first summer. And so at the time, I was still working at the movie theater. And I was just on the computer looking for different postings, um, different opportunities that could arise for my co-op term um, in two years. Because uh, a lot of the co-op terms, or at least at Brock, they start um, in your third year um, and continue into your fourth year. 
So I was looking and I stumbled across the BDC posting. On the posting itself, when I read through it, a lot of the like the mission statement and a lot of the responsibilities and tasks aligned with what I was interested in at the time. And I thought that it would be a really good fit. When I continued to look through the posting, I realized that, um, that they were looking for a third or fourth year student. So, you know, being in my first year, it would have been very easy for me to just say, oh, you know, they're looking for a third year, I give up, move on. And maybe try applying, you know, maybe one or two years down the road. But instead, the question that I asked myself was, what's the worst that can happen with by me applying? And I guess the same goes for any posting, essentially. A lot of the requirements that a company puts out, they put it out there for the reason, for a reason. And they're putting it out there because in their view, if you're able to, you know, check off all of the boxes that are on a posting, that's the ideal candidate that they have, their dream you know, candidate or their dream scenario. However, most of the time, it's very rare to have um, a lot of people tick off all of the boxes. There's going to be a lot of people who can hit most of them, but there may be one or two boxes that they're right. not able to hit. And so you're sort of in that same boat as them. So the worst that can happen by you applying for a posting is you know they send you a rejection email or they give you a call they say thank you for applying and you know you don't get the posting but you're still in the same spot as you were before you still um you know not, it's not like your life just got any worse if anything you were you got practiced yep through applying you maybe had a phone interview and you were able to learn through that application process so that's what really i guess if there was a turning point in my mindset when it came to applying for internships and co-ops it was the fact that i would always ask myself you know, what's the worst that can happen and you know, to this day i think it's worked out pretty well uh, in terms of you know having that mindset being almost fearless in a sense when it comes to the actual application mm -hmm. process and applying to jobs and internships where you think you're underqualified but at the same time um just applying because you know what's the worst that can happen right Right. I really like that mindset as well that you're talking about because I feel like a lot of people shoot themselves down before they actually get rejected. Like they don't even apply. They're like, oh, there's there's no way I'd get that position. Why even apply? Right. But you never know. Exactly. You never know. So, you know, obviously don't send in a completely terrible application or cover letter that you, you know, didn't prepare for. Right. You don't want to ruin your, your reputation, like still put effort into it. But you never know what could happen. So I, I like that a lot. So is, that, so is that what you meant by unofficial co-op term? So this was something that you found outside of Brock's co-op program during your first year summer, you said, when you were at BDC? Yeah, exactly. So essentially, when I applied, it was on my own, not on the co-op job board. And in terms of like the sequencing of my you know, degree timetable, um, the school or the co-op office essentially thought that I was just on summer break. Uh, when in reality, I was, you know, working and doing an internship. Now, if I wanted to, I could have, you know, moved, kind of wiggled around with my timetable and right. considered that very first term a co-op term. Um, but I just wanted to get more experience under my belt before I graduated. So that's why I essentially decided 
to um, not um, qualify that as my first official co-op term. Rather, I just thought that it would be best to just have that first term with the BBC right. as an Right. Now, I think one of the questions that a lot of the people in the audience listening are curious to know is how did you end up working at BDC for their venture fund, the IT venture fund that you're at? Was it just through applications or how did you end up getting that position? Yeah, that's a really good question. So I guess to sort of rewind, um, going back to when I first started at BDC, I worked uh, full-time during the summer of my first year. I worked part-time during the school year of my, uh, of my second year. So I'd work one day a week. Um, and then I worked again full-time for my, um, the summer of my second year. So it essentially went you know, internship full-time, um, one day a week during school, right. and then work again uh, full-time during the summer. Now, the first scheduled co-op term that I had on my timetable was the September of, let me take a look here. Damn, it's been a while. Okay, so it's September of uh, 2018. Okay. So that was my first co-op schedule. So during the summer, I was on the co-op job board. I was on different career websites looking for different postings. So I came across on the Brock job board, um, I came across um, the BDC IT Venture Fund posting and it was for the junior analyst position um, with the Venture Fund. So, you know, at that time, um, the big reason why I applied for the position was because of my existing experience with the BDC. Uh, I knew that BDC had a VC division or BDC capital division, um, but I really didn't know too much about the division itself because um, before that I was only really exposed to the, the financing division for commercial right. loans. Um, I was also exposed to the advisory services division a little bit, um, which we can also get into uh, in a bit. But um, I applied because of the BBC brand and um, a lot of the co-op advisors at Brock um, suggested that I apply given my experience working at BBC and not just working at BDC from a brand perspective and this, you know, for it being the same company, but also for the fact that I had um, experience uh, in finance essentially. So for those two reasons, um, I decided to apply. I had my interview um, in Toronto. So I, I still remember, I took the GO train all the way from uh, Niagara to Toronto that day. It was actually, my interview was in the summer. So I took a day off um, from the St. Catharines branch got some tips and tricks from my manager at the, at, uh, at the Niagara branch. And he was super helpful because, um, he actually, um, had a chance to meet with, um, some of the partners at the BDC IT venture fund. So that definitely helped me in terms of getting to getting an idea as to what the interview was going to be like, um, and what the, the personalities of the, interviewers were going to be like as well, just getting to understand uh, the way they think essentially. So that really helped me out. So um, I remember going into going to the interview, it was very standard. Uh, and you know, I would say the one thing that stood out to me was 
very end of, of the interview, um, the one of the partners, um, and his name's Peter, he um, looked at my resume and uh, he looked over it. He moved on to my cover letter. He looked over that. Then he moved on to my transcript. Transcript, um, and, and like full disclosure, I guess like the the average that I have uh, at, at that time was uh, mm -hmm. in the eighties. But I guess the one sour note on my transcript was I had one class that I believe was um, like a sixty nine percent. So that obviously you know stood out from the rest of the marks. And he asked like, why was that the case? Um, and you know, it kind of caught me off guard because you know, up until that point during um, any, any interview, I had never really been called out for yeah. you know, my transcript mark. But what I essentially did was um, at first, um, I sort of tried to you know, shift the blame onto the professor or onto you know, essentially any other external factor. However, I caught myself relatively early and i realized that after a quick you know moment of self-reflection i realized that there might be many factors here and there the course may be harder the professor may be different etc cetera, etc cetera. but at the end of the day you you and only you are responsible for your achievements but you're also responsible for your failures um so after that i the way i answered that question was just being honest and saying you know what there were minor factors here and there, but I take responsibility, um, and you know, going forward, I need to make sure that that this right. doesn't happen again. So I, this sort of ties back to the earlier discussion that we were having regarding um, having a balance between marks, mm -hmm. but also extracurriculars. I feel like at the end of the day, that's probably one of the reasons why my uh, resume sort of stood out. Um, it was just given the fact that I was involved. Um, not only with the BDC, but I also had other extracurriculars at school, um, being involved with um, the BSA, so the Business Students Association. So I feel like even though my marks were probably you know, not the best in terms of the overall application pool, I found another way to make myself stand out. And at that time, being like a, you know, being a second year incoming third year student, it was through the experience that I was able to to get right. up until that point. So venture capital has been a topic that, you know, we've discussed before on the podcast and I've had a few other fellow associates that have been part of Front Row Ventures, which we've also mentioned a ton of times on the podcast. So quick side note, Steve and I actually know each other through Front Row Ventures. So another uh, FRV associate yes. connection to get on the podcast, but walk us through a day in the life of when you were at the BDC Venture Fund. What kind of daily tasks did you have to do? Was it very routine? Just share with us a day in the life. When I first got the role, and when I first, I would say the first, for the first month, maybe the first two weeks, a lot of it was just getting to understand what the IT Adventure Fund does. And, and what I mean by that is just getting an idea of the criteria of the fund. And criteria being, how large does the company need to be? How many employees? What's the what's the thesis? How you know how much reoccurring revenue? Um, you know all these you know qualitative, but also quantitative metrics. Um, just getting to understand all of those that was the first 
you know, key thing. And then I would say at the, at the one month mark, um, and pass. So my total term was, I would say four and a half months. So at the, at the one month mark, I really had a chance to really deep dive and get involved in different, uh, live deals. Uh, I had a chance to work on, I want to say, I'm trying to count here. Let's see. One, two, three, four. So I had a chance to actually work on four live deals and four different investment memos. And for those who are not, um, not very familiar with, right. um, you know, VC terms, um, an investment memo is essentially a document. Um, it could be either, you know, a Google doc, a word doc, it could be a PowerPoint. It doesn't matter what form. But it essentially is a, a document that goes into the nitty gritty details of the company. So some of the things that are covered in the investment memo are uh, you know, the technology of the company, the problem that the industry is facing, the solution that the company is offering, doing a deep dive into the management team itself, looking into the experience that they have and kind of you know, looking at the different pros and cons of the management team and kind of at the end of the day, really trying to see if the team was the right fit for the company and if they could truly um, break into the market. Uh, a lot of competitive analysis was also done. And then also um, a lot of financial analysis. So looking at projections, looking at um, you know, existing you know, revenue models and forecasts, all of that. Um, so it's just a, a document. I would say in total for um, a series, a, a typical series, I would say like that number of, of slides or pages would probably be around 50 in total. So it is a very in-depth analysis. So the thing that I was really privileged to be a part of was the fact that in you know a very short time frame, in I would say four months, I had the chance to work on four different investment mm -hmm. memos. So the two companies that, you know, I'm allowed to say because um, the deal is closed and right. all this information is made public now, um, two companies that I can't say that I had a chance to work on were, uh, the first one was Crowdriff. Um, that was the first company. And then the second company was uh, Solink. Now, both of these companies were um, already existing VDC portfolio companies, and they already received a series A round. Uh, so when I was working on an investment memo, it was actually for the follow on round. So for the series uh, B or C, if I'm not mistaken, for both of those companies. Right. What do these, what do these companies do? Yeah, for sure. So um, what uh, Solink does is they are a surveillance monitoring system um, at the, at the core. However, um, the thing that makes them unique is the features that they offer. So there's a lot of uh, data analytics. So I guess as an example, so let's say you um, are at a convenience store and you are the owner of a convenience store and you want to install a security camp system. Now your security camp system just records essentially um, footage. That's really all it does. It just records it onto a tape or onto like some sort of um, hard drive and that's that. And then you'd only ever really look into it if an issue were to occur or if you know the police ever needed to report um, 
That's the first thing. Now, the unique thing about Solink was that um, there was a lot of analytics at play. So um, I, obviously it's been a while, so um, I forget all of the features um, you know, that make them unique. But the big thing was the fact that they were able to um, analyze what customers were picking out. Um, they were able to analyze foot traffic in different areas of the store. Just analyze a lot of information that would be useful to a business owner that needs to make decisions. Now, instead of making you know a gut a gut decision or a gut feeling decision where like a store owner or employee would just you know place a certain product on a certain shelf in a certain area uh, solely just based based on you know, their intuition. Now with Solink, they were able to look at hard data and you know have a quantitative set of information that could help them make a important decision to help them increase sales. So it was just adding that you know, that key feature because I feel like if you look at the way the world is trending, um, data is a big part of it, and I'm sure you know right. you hear that a lot, but I think that truly is um, just. A unique way where a company was able to find a you know a product that was essentially outdated to your average security system that would only be utilized when it when there was either a break-in or an issue so you know almost almost never but they were able to to take that and create day-to-day -day use for business owners so that's the the first company and then the second company yeah so the second company uh, Crowdriff, what they do yeah. is they are a uh, a visual marketing platform. But what they do is they use user generated content, and they're able to find ways to turn user generated content into you know engaging advertisements or engaging galleries for business owners. So I guess as an example, let's say. Mm -hmm. um, you know, you're going to Canada's Wonderland, for example, and you're going with your buddies. Uh, you have a great time, um, and you take you know a few photos. You post some on social media: Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, you know, whatever, and LinkedIn if you even wanted to. I guess <laughs> I don't even though I'm on right. on LinkedIn, but right, you post yeah. on social media. And so, what Crowdriff was able to do was, with the permission of users. Um, users would be able to um, have their pictures and their content featured on the website and different social media platforms for Canada's Wonderland, just as an example. So okay, they were able to utilize uh, user-generated content and use that content into different marketing uh, materials and promotions. So I guess it's a really good way for companies to save money when it comes to marketing. So instead of having to you know, create their own fake pictures, they're able to use real pictures from real customers. And, you know, one thing that I learned is that, you know, you can spend, you know, a lot of dollars when it comes to marketing, but still to this day, the best way to gain a customer is by is by essentially promotion from 
already existing customers. So if you have a friend who uses a certain platform and they um, say a lot of good things about it, then naturally you're going to be enticed to at the very least look into it. So that's how Crowdriff was really able to find their niche in a, a really crowded uh, marketing space or a marketing mm-hmm. uh, marketing tech, technology company space for sure. Right. So that, that grocery camera idea I thought was super cool because I've heard something similar to that where essentially what it was was through the cameras they could track so not only could they track things like you know uh traffic foot traffic where customers were going and whatnot but based off of the angle of vision like their gaze and what they were looking at they could tell on average how long each customer looked at which product which you know volume like which area on the shelf they look at and for how long so they could get all these analytics from just like surveillance cameras which was crazy that could help you know grocery stores or whatever supermarkets help with you know product placement and whatnot so i thought that was super cool as well but you know because so as somebody that's study, so you're studying business administration at brock right yeah so it's not like it's not like you have a specialty in data analytics or a specialty in marketing can you just share with us your research process in terms of trying to find out information about this company, for example, like competitors or market trends, emerging technologies and whatnot. What is your process like for researching? The Broaden Your Perspective podcast is meant to be a platform for anybody who has a story to share. If you want to come on the podcast for an episode to talk about your journey and experiences, feel free to reach out on Facebook, Instagram or by email. Thank you for tuning in for another episode. If you enjoyed today's episode, leave a rating or review on whatever platform you're listening through. I would greatly appreciate that. Be sure to follow me on Instagram at Johnny underscore Sue. That's J-O-N-N-Y underscore H-S-U. And to follow the Broaden Your Perspective podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Instagram, and Facebook.